0: Welcome to the Servants' Feast Christian Ministry Podcast with Rev. Elizabeth Moreau. Elizabeth wrote the From Called to Sent Discipleship series that includes six books and two retreats for the intellectual and spiritual development of Christians in the local church. In Elizabeth's From Called to Sent series, she often tells us there is more. Christianity is so much more than just attending church and Sunday school. The riches of our faith are beyond what we can hope or imagine. Jesus tells us that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Elizabeth passionately teaches the treasures of Christian life to the end that we grow and mature and experience an abundant life in Christ. Her reflections on topics and issues of the day always point to Jesus with the purpose of advancing his kingdom. She desires for us all to understand the deep and rich heritage we inherit from the historic and universal church. In Romans, Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With this thought, let us continue our journey of transformation and renewal as Elizabeth shares her teaching through this podcast.
1: Well, I want to welcome you guys today, and I appreciate you all for joining and listening in. This is Elizabeth, and um, I tell you what, we've had some kind of rainy day today. It has been a lot of thunder and a lot of lightning and a lot of water. Um, our day has been filled with that, and so it's taken me all day long to get around to a time quiet enough to podcast. and. So I hope that I make sense in the middle of all this. Anyway, I've been working on this idea for a long time, and and I'm ready to think about it more seriously. I want to begin to explore it some more, and we're going to do that, I think, in, in podcast in the days and weeks and months ahead, whatever, but um, it's a pretty big idea. So anyway, um, I want to introduce it to you today. Let's open with a word of prayer, because I think for sure we would need our Heavenly Father to think through things um, in, a, in a edifying manner. Okay, hear my prayer, Heavenly Father. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to the knowledge and love of you and Jesus Christ. Grant that we may receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you in your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, um, I'll tell you that uh, these ideas have been germinating in my mind for years, decades really. And um, I think about it, and, and I think that to experience Jesus Christ and Christian faith, as the first Christians did, as Jesus' apostles did, then we need to see the world in the same way that they did, the same way that they saw the world. You know, we need to see it like they did. I mean, you know, salvation is of Jesus Christ, and it is for the human condition, but it's for the human condition that they experienced because he was speaking to them, and um, he said things to them that were applicable to their world and to their experience and to their understanding, and um, we experience, I think, the human condition very differently than they do, and and you know, I, I just think that's obvious. We all we all know that we think we think very differently than they did in the first century, and we think that because we're 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 so we have so much more knowledge. I'll pause and say, I think we can all agree on something here. I think that the America, that the Church in America has lost its identity in a lot of different ways. Uh, there are lots of squabbling going on, and that's not new among Christians at all. Christians have always squabbled with one another. People squabble over ultimate things, things that matter the most. Anyway, um, we have people who are always looking for ways to become more relevant to the church around them, or to the culture around them, ways to be more um, applicable and make a bigger difference in the world. And we have also have a variety of efforts of people who think that we ought to recover early Christianity and to experience Christianity like the early Christians. And we're going to try to do worship their way, whether it's, you know, happy clappy worship or whatever, we're going to have small groups and disciple formations and stuff like that. And if you listen to any podcast that I do regularly, or if you ever read my blog, then you know that I am more inclined to pick the option behind door number two. I think I would choose that one. But my point is that I think that the problem goes much deeper than that, all right? Um, I think that we have changed, and it's not so much that, um, it's not so much, um, we are not human as they are human i don't think the problem is so much in what we're doing but it is in how we are thinking and how we interpret things we are not human as they were human and and some say that that's an advancement on our parts but i am not so sure that it is i want you to think for a minute of jesus walking around judea You know, how did the people hear what Jesus said? How did they hear Him speak? What did they think when He said stuff? How, um, you know, do you think that they heard the same things that we heard? We hear. Do you think that they um, that they that those the words that He said to them mean the same thing that the words that we hear today? You know, um, one of the obvious examples I think is uh, the demonic. When we talk about evil or we talk about demons, not many of us know how to recognize the presence of evil. We don't. We don't call evil evil anymore. We say that there's evil out there, but of course there. You know, but when is the last time you worried about the, the demonic around you or in your life or a, a demonic presence among your children or grandchildren or, or your friends and neighbors or whatever or inside the church? Not many of us know how to even recognize the presence of evil around us. And if we do, an even fewer percentage. And even smaller percentage, excuse me, know what to do with demonic forces that are, that exist in the world. But the Christians of Jesus' day knew exactly what they were talking about. And here's why it matters to us. If we are, right, if we are, in fact, different from the people of antiquity, if the gospel that they received is not heard by us, if it's reinterpreted into what we can hear, then when we reinterpret that gospel then we kind of like change it if we reinterpret it and make it different. And it ceases to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and that may, it may be true that the changes that we've made, the updates that we've made with the knowledge that we have, it may be true. I don't think that it is, but it may be. I'll, I'll grant you that. But it's not the same gospel that he proclaimed when he was walking in the world to people who heard it in a particular way, who understood reality in a particular way, you know, when he said, he's going to clean out that house and seven times as many demons will come back unless you've replaced it with <laughs> That meant something to them that doesn't mean anything to us, for example. Let me see if I can say it better or more clearly, all right? Because of historical and intellectual developments, and I've written this out specifically into a sentence because I want to read it to you so I can say it correctly. Um, say exactly what I mean, I guess, because of historical and intellectual developments in the Western world over, say, the last 500 years, um, we have changed our understanding of what it means to be human. If we want to experience Jesus Christ and we want to experience Christian faith as the first Christians did, as Jesus' own apostles did, then we need to see the world in the way they saw the world, and we need to be human as they were human. The salvation that comes from Jesus Christ is for the human condition they experienced, not the human condition as we define it today. Okay, and I think that is such an important um, point that I want to read it again. I want to repeat it to you again. It's a mouthful. I said a bunch. right? Because of historical and intellectual developments in the Western world over the last 500 years, we have changed our understanding of what it means to be human. And if we want to experience Jesus Christ in Christian faith, as the first Christians did, as Jesus' own apostles understood the Christian faith, right? then we need to see the world and the way they saw the world. That we need to be human as they were human. The salvation that comes from Jesus Christ is for the human condition they experienced, not the human condition as we define it today. Okay, that's a very serious claim to make. That the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ is for a human condition that's not what we define, right? And I don't think that there's been any intentional on our part that we woke up one day and said, oh, I think I want to redefine Christianity. I think it occurred over several several centuries. I think there were key players, some of which were devoted Christians and some of which were not, Right? But we can talk about different religions and different ways of seeing the world, and, and I think that's a worthwhile thing. But for, for right now, what I want us to think about is how hard we strive to be Christian and to spread Christianity. And I think the biggest challenge is not our refusal to hear the gospel, but our failure to understand ourselves in that gospel. Because the gospel hasn't changed. It's still the good news. I believe that to the bottom of my heart. But, mo- but it's lost most of its power because we've changed we are not the same sort of human beings as the people with whom Jesus walked and talked in his day. That's significant, you guys. Because if he's preaching the gospel for them and we're not like them, then, you know, if we become a different sort of human being, not just, not just a, a human being who doesn't know Jesus yet, but if we see human, hum, the human condition and human nature entirely differently than they did, then whatever he's offering for salvation is not what we need. I think we need exactly what he's offering. And so I think we're confused. You know, it's not a matter of doing what the early church did. We can go back and, and you, can, you can find resources that will show you. You can read how they worshipped in the early church, right? And you can study about how they made disciples in the early church. And even if we do that, it's not going to solve the problems that we're having today. We can read the scriptures and we can try to do what the scriptures tell us to do. And we can try to be good Christians. But I have to ask you, what does it mean to be a good Christian? I mean, what does that even mean to us today? How would you define that? Because I bet they would define it differently in the first century than we do now. The thing about our answer is it would be different to to their answer and it would be because we're striving to be Christian and we're trying to become something other than the first century disciple because we don't think like the first century disciple. In other words, we're not the sort of human being that Jesus was saving. And by that I mean that when Jesus was teaching and preaching – this message to a people who understood everything differently than we do. That message was heard and received and lived very differently than we do. And the great irony here is that we think they were backward and uneducated. I suspect that we are the ones without understanding. It is critical, I think, for us to understand because if Jesus is saving one sort of human being, and we think we're another sort of human being, then it's going to be very hard to live Christian salvation in our world. It's going to be very hard to embrace the fullness of Christian life in our lives today. I mean, if the gospel has changed, then that change has occurred within us. And change, that change is not going to be for our good. We ought to take a look at it and see, and see what's happened. If, if the gospel hasn't changed, but we've changed then our change can't be for good. So we need to see how that happened and what we need to do to change it. In the Western world today, especially right now, we uh, think of time as unfolding in a line, you know, in this long line from the start to finish or whatever. The generations are growing and improving and evolving or whatever, and they are becoming advanced or, you know, we're just building on one another. And we are leaving the past behind and creating a new future. And, um, I think that is a, a a strange, I think it is an unusual way, but that's the way all of us are inclined to look at the world. And that's how we can talk about the developments of the last 500 century, 500 years and say, oh, these, these these things have happened so that we now understand human nature differently and we know new things and we're no longer, um, tied to the past and we can't relate to it or whatever. And I think, that even the idea of modernity with all the separated times and separated human nature and separated beings and stuff, I think even that is an error on our part. And um, anyway, so, but we, I I would say that I believe that technology is advanced. I've said this many times before, um, and I believe that medicine and science are advanced perhaps in some, but, you know, I'm beginning to have some doubts about what all we think we know about, um, you know, medicine and science. But, um, uh, but I, I have to tell you truly, I don't think human beings have advanced at all. I can't see um, any way that we really have advanced in character. But um, mo- most most um, most of us believe that we cannot relate to the past because it was so um, it was so what do I say, uh, caveman like I don't know whatever it was so primitive it was so unsophisticated or whatever. And you know it's true, but that the, we can't relate to the past. But it's only true because we've been taught. That we cannot relate to the past, you know, that we have left them behind, and they inhabited a different world, and they believed all sorts of weird things that don't apply to us at all, and that occurred. This change occurred, and, and what we we've been taught, we don't, we can't, we can't relate to that. And I think we can relate to that entirely, but um, it, it's, it's occurred in three different stages, and this is what I think is very important for us to understand. Now, I need you to kind of hang in there with me as I wander through this because it's a hard discussion, it's complex, but I think it's very important for us to understand, and I know that there, I've been thinking about it for years, and I know that there are things that I'll have to correct or refine or whatever as I say all this, and I may find parts of it that are completely wrong and have to change it, but if I don't start thinking it through now, if we don't start thinking about it now, um, when are we going to think about it, and it won't ever get worked through? Um, anyway, bear with me because I'm trying to set the stage So we'll understand what happened to us. First, we had the Enlightenment. It came on the heels of the Renaissance, but I didn't want to get into a big discussion on the Renaissance. Let's save that for another day. But um, what you have in the Enlightenment is the rise of the human intellect, and you have the rise of reason and rationality. And the second thing that you have is the scientific revolution, right? The rise of naturalism and that real knowledge comes through scientific proof, right? Um, And the the third event was psychoanalysis. Uh, the the defini- definition of a human being um, occurred through various human theories about human nature, right? And these ideas arose in the West specifically. Um, they're ideas that came with a lot of good in a lot of different ways, but ultimately they also brought a great deal of harm to us. The rise of rationality, for example, in the Enlightenment, the rise of reason occurred oddly enough in response to religion, because um, it, it was during the time of the Protestant Reformation, and they were fighting with the Roman Catholic Church, and you have all of this, all these religious wars in the 16th and 17th centuries, and so I mean, um, the the rise of rationalism was when they were going to sort out who decided what was true about which religion. They're debating the religions and and which 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 way of faith and which way of reading the scripture and what is true to be faithful was true to be Christian or whatever. The religious wars, right? And the result is that human reason became the moderator of religious discourse. Human rationality measured what was true and what was false about Scripture. I, I think <laughs> I'm kind of speechless. If you look at it in reverse and look at what we did, we decided that human rationality would be that measure. And it was done within the Western church. It was done by people of faith, at least, at least initially it was done by people of faith, and mostly men, right? Initially, they were people of faith, but they didn't stay people of faith. The rise of rationality gave birth to empiricism. And that's the belief that all knowledge could be known empirically. You know what that means? That means it could be known by our senses, what we can see, hear, smell, touch, or taste, Right? And um, and so that kind of rules out the divine realm where Christ is King who rules over all. But anyway, they, if you can't see it, hear it, smell it, touch it, or taste it, then it must not exist. Which you know that that is a form of skepticism. And again, I am just brushing these with wide strokes everywhere. But you know we doubt the doubt. The doubt was raised. We can't if you can't impair. In, in, verify it empirically, then it must not exist. And it was in, during this time, 17th century probably, I guess, that for the first time, uh, the question was raised about whether or not God exists. I'm not saying it had never been asked before, but it wasn't like a public discussion conversation. I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying there weren't people who doubted the existence of God, but um, for the first time, this was a legitimate course of study, I guess, a, a legitimate means of thinking about the world. I wonder if God really exists. And so that's a whole debate. The first century Christians, I have to tell you, the ones Jesus Jesus walked with and talked with, would have thought that that whole discussion was ridiculous. They lived in a world that was so much bigger than our own. They inhabited a world filled with spirits, both angelic beings and demonic beings, and they would never have doubted the existence of those, nor would they have doubted the existence of God, because they were familiar with both and interacted with all of them. And here's a more relevant point. Jesus never doubted the existence of, the, of angelic beings or demonic beings. He never doubted that at all. And we doubt that. We doubt it today because, why, why do we doubt it? I to think about it. Why do we doubt it? Because we live in a world of human reason. Because human philosophy told us that spiritual beings don't exist. Are you prepared to grant that philosophers know more than your Savior? I'm not. But that's the world we live in right now. I mean, you know, and that's that's the way we see the world through the reason and the rationality of that. What do you know about angelic beings? What do you know about demonic beings? We we don't know how to dress, how to respond to it. Coinciding with the rise of rationalism and empiricism and all that kind of stuff was the scientific revolution. Right and originally the scientists were Christians. If you go back to the 16th century, Galileo, for example, was a Christian. And so was Copernicus a Christian, and and as was Kepler a Christian. You know, all of, uh, Kepler was one of the primary I don't know uh, thinkers or whatever creators of the uh, facilitators of the scientific revolution. Huge, huge scientists, and they were all Christian. But just as with philosophy, initially it began among Christians, and it gave way to non-Christian ideas. Science decided that everything could be discovered, and everything could be understood, and all that was missing was figuring out how we got here and how we came into being. In other words, we could with a, science could measure the entire you know um, world and all of reality from the ends of the earth, from the ends of the universe to human nature, human being, or what not? Human nature, human being, right? And all, all that was left was figure out how we all got here and what the deal was, um, you know, how how did the Earth get here, how did the universe get here, how did we get here? What's the story on that? But you have complete rationality without reference to God, and now you're going to have science going, you know, I'm not. We, we've got it all figured out. We can understand the whole natural world. We don't have any use for God. We don't need that. We can under, We can know everything. Well, you can only know everything if there's no spiritual realm that you don't have to measure, right? If if you don't have to measure it, it's not there. I like that logic. It's not logic at all. So along in the middle of all this, here comes Darwin, and he's, he, he he's comes along with the theory of evolution. And uh, he's not the first guy who came up with that. Do you know the first time, the uh, first recorded um, introduction of evolution was in the 6th century B.C.? So Darwin wasn't really all that happening in a guy in terms of, you know, like new ideas, but anyway... Um, Darwin believed in the existence of a transcendent being before the end of his life. He certainly made that clear. He was not particularly Christian, but um, science you know, could proceed. The, the, what he did was he gave science the ability to proceed without a god at all. There was no need for a god, therefore he doesn't exist. As long as we can say that we evolved out of the great primordial sludge, you know, then we don't have to worry about a god. And so it doesn't matter what evidence you provide Anybody who wants there to be no God is, is utterly and completely convinced of evolution, and it doesn't matter what the evidence is, to the contrary. They would say that about Christians, just for the record, no matter what the evidence is, to the contrary. But what I want you to see in all of this, right, is, is that we are the people that Paul was talking about in his first chapter to, Romans, to the Romans. He says, claiming to, he's claiming to be wise, they became fools, let me elaborate with what he says. He says, For what, we, what, what can be known about God is plain to them, but God, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. My point is, the assumption, look at Paul's assumption, is that there, is, there are invisible attributes to God. And if, if you live in a world where science and rationality tell you that nothing invisible exists... That all that exists can be seen and tasted and touched and you know felt whatever smelled, um, then how are you going to account for God? How are you going to account for your mother's love? I mean, there's so many things it just leaves out. It's, it's absurd, but that is a general philosophy, and that's where you know we approach. And now that we have Darwin in there, thanks be to goodness, uh, we can get get rid of God altogether. We know how he came into being. I just think that is like astonishing. All that was left, right, was some way to deal with the human condition the 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 problem of human nature and all of the complexities of human nature and along comes Freud because you know human beings are a mess I don't know about y'all but everyone I've ever met is a mess and if you're not sinful if you don't have a divine being outside you if there's not an external divine transcendent being that oversees the universe then and if you're nothing but an advanced animal then we have to find some way to deal with all those weird little complexities means of dealing with human nature and so we have Freud, the, the father of psychoanalysis. Now there are many different schools of psychiatry and psychology, and no doubt they have done some very good things. But they don't understand what a human being is. They don't know what, what a human being truly is. They, so they can't define it. There's a limit to what they can treat. Because if you don't understand a human being created by God in relationship to God... And whatever else you're telling them is going to be finite and limited. You know, the greater our knowledge became as human beings, the lesser the human beings have become. Doesn't that bother you? That the more knowledge we have, the less human we are? We became so knowledgeable, it turns out, that we we're so knowledgeable that we, we are nothing more than just animals. Just old everyday run-the-mill animals. And the early Christians, the early Christians would not have known how we could even claim to be Christian with the beliefs that we hold. They would not recognize us with all of our knowledge. They would, they would say, no, you're not, you're not like us because we know who we are as human beings. Nor would they think that we understood anything at all. They would think we misunderstood everything, that we had false knowledge. And I think some of our knowledge may be false, i got to tell you. But the issue for us, I think, is this question. Are we more? We tell ourselves all the time that we are more. We're so much more. They were superstitious. They were primitive. They were, you know, um, uninformed, uneducated, whatever. They weren't stupid, I can tell you that. And I think sometimes we're pretty stupid, right? But are we more? For all the knowledge that we gained, are we better human beings? Because I got to tell you, I hadn't seen it. I don't think so. I think the case can be made that the beauty and the dignity and the complexity of the human creature has been diminished, even nearly destroyed by these three developments in history in the West. You know, I admit I'm painting this, I've said this two or three times, I'm painting this with a very wide brush. These are great big ideas. But these ideas are things that we need to work through and we need to think about because if the basic premise is correct, then everything we understand about ourselves as being human needs to be changed, and, re- and it needs to go back to what is correct, that we've, that we've told ourselves a lie, right? I do believe that the basic premise is that, is that we are less, and that all the good that came into the world in Jesus Christ is being lost over the centuries. You know, when we arrive in the 21st century, show up or whatever, authentic Christian belief isn't even intelligible to us any longer not the way it was believed in the first century, not the gospel that Jesus preached in the first century to, to the people around him. That gospel's not even believable to us. The resurrection, how many people, the virgin birth? I mean, we, For all of our knowledge, we know very little about, what, what, about about Jesus and all that went on in the first and second and third centuries. I'm not questioning the sincerity of Christians. I think Christians are very sincere. But you can be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. You know? I'm questioning whether or not we can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through the refracted lens of modernity. And I suggest to you that the answer to that question is no, we can't truly hear it. It is something more. It is something better. It is something bigger. And it is we who are less. It is we who are, who are um, what do I say, it's just we who are less, we who are poorer, we who are more bereft and, and lacking, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the ones who changed. and We've changed into something far less than we were created to be. And I think we need to repent of that and we need to learn again what it means to be human. If we want to see the gospel come alive in power, then we have to be a people who can receive the power of the gospel. Let me repeat that. If we want to see the gospel come alive in power, then we need to be people who can receive the power of the gospel. And I'm not sure we're fully prepared to do that, that we know enough to do that. I believe that's enough for today. I've talked for a long time. We've made it without any thunder or lightning or anything else. But I'm going to be working on this and thinking it through the months ahead, years ahead. I'd appreciate it if you'd let me know what you think about that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O oh God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and to remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I mean that, y'all. You let me know let me know what you think. If you think I'm crazy, I'd appreciate I'd appreciate hearing that. But anyway, until next time Y'all be blessed now. You hear?
0: You have just heard the latest podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as we continue to explore God's truth as it speaks to our world today with transforming love for all people.